A congresswoman has been removed from her committee assignments. Former President Trump's lawyers have decided to use the First Amendment as a defense in his impeachment trial, and an old tradition is coming back to the White House. I'm Joe Moronsky, and you are listening to The Political Informant, your place for fact-first politics. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican from Georgia, has been removed from her committee assignments in the House of Representatives. Now, this comes after recently resurfaced comments from before she was elected, mainly in 2018. These claims include that school shootings were false flag operations with paid actors, the Las Vegas shooting was staged. In regards to the Las Vegas shooting, she said, quote, How do you get avid gun owners and people that support the Second Amendment to give up their guns and go along with anti-gun legislation? You make them scared, you make them victims, and you change their mindset, and then possibly you can pass anti-gun legislation. Is that what happened in Las Vegas? I don't believe Paddock pulled this off all by himself, and I know most of you don't either, end quote. She also claimed that the 9-11 tax did not happen, saying, quote, it's odd, there's never any evidence shown for a plane in the Pentagon, end quote. She claimed that two Muslim members of Congress were not real members because they didn't get sworn in on a Bible. Uh, In regards to this, it is important to note that the United States does have a separation of church and state, meaning that any member of Congress can get sworn in on whatever they feel most appropriate. She claimed that Jewish people shoot lasers from the sky to start forest fires. She called for the execution of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and she touted the QAnon conspiracy theories. So she has a track record, to say the least. Um, But like I said, these were all comments from before she was in office, so it has definitely sparked a little bit of controversy. Now, she served on the Education and Budget Committees, but after a 230 to 199 vote, she has been removed. 11 Republicans voted to remove her, which was definitely something interested and a little unexpected. Now, the day of the vote, she gave an eight-minute speech on the House floor. Uh, I'm going to go through some quotes because there are some interesting ones. She said, quote, school shootings are absolutely real and every child that is lost, those families mourn it, end quote. She also said, quote, I also want to tell you that 9-11 absolutely happened. I remember that day crying all day long watching it on the news, and it's a tragedy for anyone to say it didn't happen. And so that I definitely want to tell you, I do not believe it is fake, end quote. Now, in this eight-minute speech, she didn't say the words, I'm sorry. She just said the words, I regret my decision, or I was given false information. But this is a political tactic used by politicians on both sides of the aisle to avoid looking weak. They just don't want to say the words, I'm sorry. She did later apologize in a press conference outside the Capitol. It was a 20-minute press conference where she claimed she was freed and that she could now work to push Republicans even further right and cement former President Trump's legacy in the GOP. When asked if she was truly sorry, she said, quote, I'm sorry for saying all those things that are wrong and offensive, and I sincerely mean that, end quote. So there are definitely a lot of implications with this happening. This is a huge thing, especially for how things may move going forward. 
Congressmen and women could now be removed for things they said before they were in office, first and foremost. But it also opens the door for Republicans to remove Democrats should they regain control. You know, this is uncharted territory in a sense where we're now punishing people for things that they said, regardless of how wrong, before they were in office. Um, and a lot of Democrats who were unsure about the vote, and namely the 11 Republicans who voted to remove her, noted that they didn't remove her because she said these things. They removed her more than anything because she didn't acknowledge that they were wrong after the fact. When she was called out for it earlier this week, she didn't come out and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said those things. I was wrong. She showed no remorse. That's what one Republican congressman said, and he was one of the 11 people who voted to remove her from those committees. But at the end of the day, this is removing the focus from the actual work that these officials were elected to do. We elected them to go in, create change, and pass legislation that helped the American people. Not to fight over claims that have no proof to back them up, and things that we really shouldn't even be giving the time of day to address. President Biden's proposed $1.9 trillion stimulus plan is on its way to being passed. The Senate cleared the way for the House to start drafting the final legislation with a party-line vote that Vice President Harris had to cast the tie-breaking vote for. Now, she cast that vote at 5.30 a.m. on Friday, and then later on Friday, the House approved it in a 219 to 209 vote, again on party lines. President Biden said, quote, are we going to say to millions of Americans who are out of work, many out of work for six months or longer, who have been scared by the economy and public health crisis, don't worry, hang on, things are going to get better. That's the Republican answer right now. I can't in good conscience do that. Too many people in the nation have already suffered for too long, end quote. Now, let's also remember that this is the same President Biden whose entire inauguration address was about restoring unity and bipartisanship, um, but he did invite Republicans to the White House to discuss the bill and negotiate. The Problem Solvers Caucus is a bipartisan and centrist group of lawmakers, and they called for legislation boosting vaccine distribution before a new stimulus package. To date, the CDC says that they've distributed 58,380,300 vaccines and administered 36,819,212 of those vaccines. There are over 300 million people in the United States. So obviously vaccine distribution needs to be ramped up. If we want to vaccinate as many people as we're saying we are, we need to be focusing on that, not fighting over a stimulus package. However, with a Democratic-controlled Congress, it's looking more and more like this bill will be passed with pretty much nothing that Republicans want in it. So let's go through the key points of this plan. $1,400 checks to Americans who meet a specific income threshold will be distributed. Unemployment supplements of $400 a week will be put into effect. The minimum wage will gradually rise from $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour. $440 billion will be going to communities. That's grants and loans to small businesses, $350 billion in funding for state, local, and territorial governments, and then $160 billion in funding for a national vaccination program. He's also going to be allowing for 14 weeks of paid sick and family medical leave for caregivers dealing with closed schools or care centers, and an increased child credit to families 
ranging up to $8,000. So this is a huge package, and it would be nice to see bipartisanship on something like this. It would be nice if we could reach across the aisle and work together. But it looks like this is going to be the first piece of legislation that will literally be partisan. Not a one person voting. Not a one Republican looks like they're going to be voting for this package. And that is something we haven't seen since the Biden administration took office. Everything that they have passed has seen at least one Republican vote for it. But we have Democrats who are questioning if they're going to vote for this. Some of the more conservative Democrats have said that this is insane. You know, you're not even talking to the Republicans anymore. You're barely asking them for any input because you have the majority. You should still be working together with them. And they're completely right. President Biden called for bipartisanship in his inauguration address. The American public needs to call on him to act on that. The impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump is coming up and his lawyers are beginning to form their arguments. The trial is set to begin on February 9th, but President Trump parted ways with his old lawyers and he now has a new team, including a former prosecutor from Pennsylvania and an Atlanta-based attorney. They claim that the Senate can't convict him because of the First Amendment, but there are a whole bunch of problems with this claim. First of all, the First Amendment doesn't apply in an impeachment hearing because they're not discussing what he said. They're more discussing the results of what he said. 144 bipartisan constitutional law scholars wrote a letter in which they said the following. First of all, his speech was not expressive action. Now, under the First Amendment, there's a few different things that are weird, but a lot of people don't know about. The Supreme Court ruled that there's two different types of speech. There's speech itself, and there's expressive action. You know, if you go and burn something down and say you were trying to send a message, that's not going to work. But if you burn an American flag and say you were sending a message, that's expressive action protected by the First Amendment. Additionally, in Bradenburg v. Ohio, the Supreme Court said essentially that you can't yell fire when there isn't a fire. In this case, the the constitutional law scholars claim if there's no evidence of voter fraud, you can't say there is, and that account must be stopped. The lawyers of President Trump have also said that they probably won't bring up the fraud claims or present evidence of it. They're going to try to stray away from that as much as possible. So if you don't present that as evidence, you can't say that it happened so he was telling the truth. Uh, It's like yelling fire when there's no fire. The First Amendment also doesn't prohibit conviction. Congress says he violated his oath of office through, quote, extraordinary, unprecedented repudiation of the president's duties to protect the government. The government includes Congress. By watching the mob on TV and not taking immediate action to protect Congress, that's a violation. Claims that a former president can't be impeached have also been pretty much dismissed. Um, officials have been impeached after leaving office before, so there there's definitely precedent in this section. In 1797 and 1798, Senator William Blount was impeached by the House, removed from the Senate, and then tried by the Senate. In that order, he was re- impeached by the House, removed, and then tried. So he was out of office when he was tried in the Senate, and that's actually exactly what 
in a sense, happened uh, in the case of President Trump. You know, he was impeached, left office, and then was tried. But Blunt was removed from the Senate. President Trump wasn't removed from office. However, there is a precedent for that. Secretary of War William Belknap was impeached and tried after leaving office in 1876. Both impeached and tried. He resigned and then they impeached and tried. Yes, this is the first time somebody is being tried after their term ended, per se, but it's happened before. People were not in office and have been impeached and tried. House Democrats asked former President Trump to testify, but one of his spokesmen said, quote, he will not testify in an unconstitutional proceeding. In 1982, former President Ronald Reagan began a new tradition. Each Saturday, he delivered an address to the American people over the radio. These became more commonly known as the Fireside Chats. The full official name of this address would be the Weekly Address of the President of the United States, but they're also referred to as Fireside Chats in history books across the country. During the Obama administration, these began to take a new shape, being shared on YouTube and other platforms, and these were hard to find on the radio. The Trump administration continued this tradition, but it did eventually stop. The Biden administration has said they'll be restarting these in yet another new form. Now, they'll be posted to the White House YouTube page. Some will be traditional style talking directly to Americans, but others will be podcast style with guests interviewing or having conversations with President Biden about the issues that are affecting them. The first episode will be released this weekend featuring Michelle Volkert, who is a California woman laid off from her job in the early months of the pandemic. Of course, I would be remiss to note that this is not the only old tradition coming back to the White House. The other one would be the fact that we now have uh, first dogs again. But this is definitely something uh, that should be good and hopefully will create more transparency in our government. And hopefully having uh, American people interviewing or having conversations with the president will cause an increased sense of accountability that is much needed in this nation. With a political landscape filled with tension, blame, and little work, Americans must hold their elected officials accountable. We can no longer sit back while officials fight. We must speak up and let officials know that it is not only time to stop fighting, but time to work together and get things done for the people who put them in office, because those same people can take them out of office just as fast. I'm Joe Moronsky, and you have been listening to... The Political Informant, your place for fact-first politics.